All right. So this week, um, this past week, um, Jen and I both had the opportunity to share at a missional church leaders conference here in Austin. Actually, several thousand pastors from all over the nation came to our city. And uh, uh, I got to share it some and lead some workshops with some pastors and things like that. And Jen got the uh, honor of being on, on, on a stage in front of all these guys. And hands down, uh, for me, I think the best message that was taught and the most convicting was what Jen brought. And I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just think it was awesome. And it just really stuck in my head. And I think she was the best looking speaker of every speaker <laughs> who, who was there. And um, can't get away from the scripture that she shared. It was very personal, but it hit something in me. I, I didn't figure it out until later on this week why it struck me right now as we're studying Philippians chapter 2. Because the scripture she shared was a similar letter to Philippians. It was, a, it was 1 Corinthians, which was the letter to the church at Corinth. Very similar thing. Paul wrote a letter to the, chip, uh, the church at uh, Philippi, which became the, the, the book we now know as Philippians. And then 1 Corinthians was the first letter to the church at Corinth that he also started. So similar situations going on here. And he's writing to the church, and he's, um, he's talking to them about who you follow. Who you allow the place in your life to teach, to, to teach you, and to, that you kind of submit yourself to, and allow to be influenced to as, you know, uh, as a spiritual leader in your life. And she drew, um, was looking at two, two passages, one 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and the other was in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And there was a similar theme. The first thing he did was set it up, and he was talking about the difference between the spiritual father, he said that we have, you have few of, and uh, the 10,000 guardians that he, that he spoke of. And I haven't checked it for sure if she just made this up, but she said that uh, the word spirit, the guardians, was kind of like the same word that literally kind of means a nanny. So what he's saying is you have the opportunity to really be, you have a handful of people who are true spiritual fathers to you, which he claimed to be. Okay, and there's a reason why there's a difference between a true spiritual father and in, in their, their, um, what they care about, what they break for, what keeps them up at night when they think about you or the, the church. Um, and then the spiritual, the 10,000 guardians, the nannies, we talked about the fact that you and I can get online and we could choose our, our spiritual guardian. You can read any book, you can listen to a sermon online, you can you just talk to your buddy at work and get his spiritual advice and make you feel good about yourself and go on, yeah, that's what I believe too, you know, and keep going. And I was thinking about it, it's kind of like the spiritual name, it's kind of like, you know, spiritually kind of wipe our booties all the time and just whatever you want, clean it up and here we go and we just keep going on with life how we want. But the spiritual father is something very unique. And in, in, in chapter four, he, he literally says that, you should follow my example as I follow Christ. Later in, in, in chapter 11, he says, I urge you to imitate me. As a pastor, a couple emotions strike me when I hear that. First, I want to judge the guy. Don't you? A little bit. You're like, who are you? You know, I don't care. I'm, well, you're Paul. You wrote half the New Testament. But, um, but I want to go, really, dude? You, how do you get to the place where you say, you know what? If you want to imitate anybody, just imitate me because I am the man, you know? But he, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I, and I was just really thinking, it scares me because I'm a pastor. I don't even know that. I'm a pastor. And it's very scary when I think about the standard. Scripture even talks about being held to a higher, account, a higher standard if you teach the word. And it's really scary to me because most of the time I feel like just a normal dude. Okay? 
And um, so he's saying this, follow my example as I follow Christ. And so the message that we hear through that, and this is what Jen so aptly shared, essentially is, listen, as a church leader, um, you should live a life worthy of being followed. And so, uh, you know, all of the pastors were out there going, oh, man. She's like, you just need to go do what you're talking about before, you know. And, and, but it's this call for us to remember, man, are we living this life that is worthy of being followed? Are we setting this example that, and, and I don't, I, I, I would imagine that Paul still messed up every now and then. He probably wasn't just the perfect guy. So it wasn't just that he became exactly perfect. And I was just thinking about, though, that it's this pursuit of his to constantly pursue Christ. And the values that I will choose Christ and I will choose his way over this thing that may give me uh, approval before man. Or may give me success in the eyes of mankind. Or whatever that he would live this life. And I thought, one, that this is a calling for us to seek, to try as hard as we can towards living a life uh, that is worth following. But I think it's more than just that. I think the thing that sets an example to me as a pastor, any church leader towards Paul, and as you think about uh, who you look to for that spiritual leadership, is, is not just that he was seeking to live a life worth following, but that he had a message that was worth following. And that he believed with all his heart uh, that the greatest plan and that the greatest purpose for all creation was the plan and was the purpose of the Creator. That every situation in our life and every bit of our journey and everything that exists that seems out of whack a little bit or that is broken or whatever, that the answer to that does not lie in any more of man's wisdom. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't come to fruition through how we even begin to form our way we do church. But it 100% is found at the seeking, at the feet of, of God. And that he believed that with all his heart. And they knew that Paul knew. They knew that Paul would give up his very life before he would choose the approval of man over the approval of God. And that, he says, is what's worth following. So, as we look in Philippians 2, I think it's, that, it's this passion that he is writing through the lens of. He's writing with this passion That he just knows that this church and these people and this way of life, this new way in Christ, that there is so much, uh, there is so much fulfillment, there is so much peace, there is so much joy, there is so much purpose that is eternal and that is significant, that that is so worth chasing after. This is the passion in which he writes this letter to this church. And he's praying for and he's hoping for. I want to look at verse 15 first, and then we're going to go back and look through some of the other scriptures. And this is, the, this is the context in which he writes it. And he says this. He says, this is my hope. He says, so that, that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, and a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe As you hold out the word of life. I'm just drawn to that. See Paul's greatest desire. Is that the church. Would. Not just be perfect. But that their pursuit and their trust. 
and their, their, their choice to choose the kingdom of God over their kingdom was in its purest form. That, that they would be claim, they would take claim of being children of God. That that would be who they were, their identity. That even when they messed up or they chose wrong or they whatever, they knew God still loved them and that they were still uh, seen as beloved and that God still had a plan and God still was restoring and he was still using them and was still hopeful for them that they would be children of God. And I I think it's interesting. He said in a crooked and in a depraved generation, as I look at those words crooked and depraved, I think two words come to mind, corrupt and powerless. And, And I think about the church today and I think about, when I say church, I mean us and cultural church. All of it, us as individuals, us collectively, from the smallest church to the biggest church in our city, to the most conservative, to the most liberal, to the whatever. I think about this from the crooked and the depraved generation, that, that, that word depraved, that, that thought of being powerless. I just think, is anyone here really looking for a faith journey and, and to spend your life on Sundays or whenever chasing after a powerless faith? Do you really do you really come here every Sunday or go to a community group or go serve or whatever just to appease God for 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 there nothing to be unlocked in your life for there for you to never experience joy or that contentment are you really is anyone chasing that I think sometimes we chase it we don't even know it But I think what Paul is saying here is he says I'm sick of that He's he's not saying I'm sick of you say I'm sick of it because God is powerful Because he restores and he takes broken stories and broken people and he makes them new and he redeems them and says, now I'm going to use you to be good news to other broken people who need to see it and need to feel it and experience it and to be restored and to be given hope and joy that he uses even broken people and that he restores and he reconciles. I think this is what Paul as a, as a father Spiritual father to them crave so much that then there would be this church that that shine like the stars in the universe and that you just can't cover them up. You can't help but see it. And you can't help but know that it's light. As you hold out or hold on to the word of life, this this purpose, this truth, this message of the life of Christ. So this is what he's writing in his heart. So let's read back through Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We read this first few verses last week, but we're going to look at them uh, for just, just a moment. It says, if you, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and uh, purpose. As I was thinking through this, this scripture, looking through it, the thing that stood out to me this week more than anything was the two-letter word, if. He's calling us to to think about it for a moment. If you are, and we have to ask ourselves, God, do we? Do we have encouragement from unity? When you think about that, does it encourage you? Do you have comfort in love? Do you have a developing tenderness and and compassion? What's going on there? As a dad, and and I think about my own kids, I think one of the the things I want to do is look at them and just think, oh, they're... 
I just give them benefit of the doubt with everything, you know? Oh, no, they wouldn't do that. Oh, no, 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 those other kids were the ones that did that, you know? I think one of the most dangerous things as a true father is to begin to be naive about reality. Because it's dangerous when we're unaware, self-aware as well as aware of what's going on. Not that we're suspicious or that we're whatever, but that one of the most dangerous things is to not just look at things in reality. And as we're looking at this word, if, uh, this assumes something. But the question is, is where do we really land on the if of this scripture? It's a good thermostat, barometer, tell you where you are in these areas. That encouragement and that love and that unity and that purpose and that compassion, is that something developing in you because it's at the very heart of Christ? That Paul is praying that we wrestle with these things. But the cool thing is, is that he really says it in a rhetorical way here. He says, if you have any of these, then do this. It's kind of rhetorical, which tells us that he's saying, no, this is the standard. This is the standard of the church. That there is a bigger unity and a bigger purpose and a bigger focus. Do we value these things? I hear a lot of pastors and church leaders talk about, we just want to get back to the Acts 2 church, the Acts 2.42 church. And it's the one that talks about that the disciples met together in, the, in their homes every day. And it's, well, that's why we need small groups because we'll have church and small groups they met and, they, and they're talking about this form or this formula for church. But I think what Paul is saying here is that we need, we need to value the function over the form, that there is a heart and, and there is a belief and there is a way of life that, that we talked about that it's, it's why they didn't just say, hey, that person goes to church. But they said that this person is a part of the way. They recognized that it was a new way of life that stood in complete opposition of what many of the religious or powerless, maybe even corrupt, who's to say, religious were about. And then it goes in and it says, if, if these things, then. It's like this if-then model. It's this pressing. It's this thing that Paul is saying, will you please do this? If you pursue anything, pursue this. He says, then. And he goes, make my joy complete. It's a father's attitude. When you see the success or that you see the fulfillment from their, your kids. Make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. But here's our struggle. We don't like to do these things. We, we like to go at it alone. We like to consume things for us. And it's just easier that way. It, it's, it's our nature that we fight. But then he gives us the formula and he says it in verse 3. He says, but do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I tried to get around that. I tried to get around, well, we could do some things out of selfish ambition because we're supposed to take care of ourselves and our family. And it just literally says do nothing. Here, here, here in a moment, though, it goes on. It says, but in humility, considers others better than yourself. So it's talking about a posture that we take with one, one another. But it says each of you should not only look to your own interest, but also the interest of others. So he gives us permission to worry about what's going in our lives. But he's saying, don't do it at the, at the cost of everyone else. 
And I think even more, he's given us that formula to say, honestly, guys, if we would do nothing out of vain conceit, if we would focus 100% on what is happening in something bigger than us, you're going to look back and find you doing better than you've ever done. It is so hard to believe. But I would argue most of us have experienced that one piece or another. And I'm not talking where you just feel good about yourself because of something you've done. I mean where you've really chosen and you've given of yourself and you want to and you look back. Uh, there's so many people I know have just poured themselves out. And then the funny thing is, is we come to the place where all of a sudden we want to get selfish again. And we go, yeah, but I want that. And we want to, well, I want to do that stuff again. I want to do all that. And then we stop and we realize, but this has made me grow more in my faith in the last six months than I have in the last 20 years. So why do I keep wanting to go back? But it's a posture. There's something there that we're, we struggle with. And it's, there's a pride. There's a position how we think of ourselves and reflect in, in, in maybe in, in opposite of how we feel about other people truly. And so he digs into it even more. And he talks about our attitude being the same of Christ Jesus. And he goes on to even say that Jesus himself, who did not consider equality with God something to grasp. But not only did he humble himself... He submitted himself to mankind, his own creation, and died. He fully gave of himself that God might then be glorified. It's just, just weird and amazing. Just keep getting reminded as Paul is just saying, I will pour myself out for you. I just want you to get this. The ways of Christ will work. And they're so good. And that the created, the plans of the creator is always the best thing for the created. And it's okay. God gives us this journey and he says, just spend your time figuring it out. Please don't just take me for granted. Just wherever you are, look at yourself. And God says, I know. And you go, God, I'm doing this. He's like, I know. God, I struggle with this. I know. He knows. And he says, I love you. And keep pressing. But will you press into me instead of yourself? And I think what is beautiful is that this is the basis in which the church becomes the church that Scripture really talks about. Because then if you just get a bunch of people who are really trying to live that, and we just look at each other, you don't even have to say how messed up we are. We just look at each other and go, "Mm mm-hmm. But let's just go do this. Or let's just go be this. And we did that, and that didn't work. That's okay, we're just trying. What a beautiful thing. Unified in love and in purpose. So then let's move down to, uh, to verse 12. I think he begins to give us this blueprint for this fullness of life that he talks about in Ephesians 3. And he's praying for, and he says, Therefore, they're therefore, this side of the therefore, all of this stuff is a reality, all of this stuff is what we're talking about, therefore... Okay, this is where the rubber meets road. How do we respond? And he calls them, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. He's talking about, listen, I get it. This is sinking in. starting to make sense, isn't it? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I love that scripture. This wasn't, this wasn't, I don't think it was anybody else's fault except mine as I received it because I I could read scripture. But as I was growing up, I seemed to believe in this faith that the ultimate goal was 
I got saved and I held on until Jesus came back. And I tolerated all the world until then. And I just, you know, how empty is that? I mean, good for you. Good for me. We're not going to hell. Maybe. Maybe we ought to think about that. Maybe that's why Jesus said many of you will anyways. Ooh, let's just pray. Um, but he says, continue to work out your salvation. What's this saying is that, listen, there was a reason Christ died, and it was to save us, but there was a full thing that our salvation was doing. There was a bigger picture that it was a part of, that the purpose of that whole thing is just begun. There's a better story to tell in your life. And collectively, there's a better story to tell in our city and in our world that we get to be a part of. And when people hear it, it's like a light. It's like the light of the universe. It's not like, stay away from that dude. He is a freak. It's a, wow, that dude, what's up with that? I want some of that. What is it? What's going on there? Why is that guy so nice? Why does he love people? Why do those, why does that couple always, why are they always helping people? What's going on with that church? I think that's what Paul dreamed of. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the good news, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Here's why I think it's so significant that you follow you follow when you, you seek someone who not just is trying to live that life, but someone who is teaching it and always pressing us is because we need to be pressed to God because the only way this works is when God does it in you. You can't do stuff for God. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. We need him and he works in us. And, and until we figure out what God is doing in us and our identity in Christ as just forgiven and being made new every day and that his mercies are new every day. And until we get that, all we're doing is just changing our behavior. And it remains powerless because it's on us. We made ourselves go do something good. We made ourselves read this Bible scripture or do these things. But it is when we realize who Christ is, who we are in Christ, that that power in God begins to work. And then he goes on, verse 14. This is the fruit of these things. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Well, the church has got that down, don't they? Wow. Church never argues or complains. Can I be honest with you, though? I've been in ministry since 93. I was at 95 earlier. I was wrong. I was doing youth ministry in 93 and 92. I've never been a part of a body of faith that complains less than this body. I've never been around a group of people who just want to roll up their sleeves and just go to work. It's so refreshing. Um, thank you for that. I don't know why. Maybe you just know we don't listen to you. But... <laughs> It's pretty true. (laughs) Do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in this crooked and depraved generation. I just don't want to be, I don't want to be known for that. There's a greater story to be told. Which shine like stars in the universe. So you hold out this word of life. And here he turns it. 
And this is so interesting to me. In order that I may boast. Paul is going to brag. He's not going to brag, hey man, I planted X amount of churches and had millions of conversions. Look how awesome I am. He says, I'm going to boast on the day of Christ that I I not run or labor for nothing. He said, but even if I'm poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service coming from your faith, I'm glad. I will rejoice with you, all of you, so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Here's the thing. Today, the way church works in America and Western culture, you know, you really get to kind of choose your spiritual fathers or your spiritual influencers, those that speak into you. And whether you're 90 years old or 18 years old, there's different factors that impact how you do that and why and who those people are. You get to choose whether or not you just put yourself around 10,000 nannies or you really submit yourself to something that's going to really press you towards Christ. A couple of thoughts that I want to challenge you with that I'm learning from this scripture. One, my challenge is whatever you do, and A&C may not be your church. It may be somewhere else. God may send you somewhere else, not because you need it, but they need you. I don't know. But whatever you do, Will you submit yourself to those who choose the approval of God over man? I think that's what Paul did. He was willing to die. Willing to die than choose the approval of man over God. Will you seek that? Will it be someone who chooses kingdom over comfort every time? Will you do that? I don't know what that looks like every time, but will you do that? Will you choose someone that will push you? To land on the right side of the if every time. And it's really weird. I feel awkward even talking about this. Um, as we think about all of this, you know, I think about, you know, I know that me and God has used some really unlikely people to lead this church. It's pretty funny. Whether it's me or Trey or Matthew or John or Lamar. I do pray that somehow our collective lives are worth following in some way. I hope we do something that says, wow, that challenges me all the time. I never cry. (laughs) I do. I, I, I hope that. But more than anything, I pray to God that we will always choose kingdom over our kingdom. And that the message we teach is always going to press you towards the same and push you towards Christ. Because anything less is wasting your time. It's going to be empty. It won't be worth anything. So for those of you who are pressing right now, who are seeking... Maybe it's your first time. You're just seeking for the first time. Thank you. For those of you who are surrendering, who are sacrificing, who are serving, for those of you who are going, for those of you who are going into places of great need and who are staying, thank you. For those of you who are moving, for those of you who are adopting, who are giving, who agreed to get in the water and be baptized today. Thank you. 
Because I know for us as a church body, as leaders, what a joy it is to know that we not labor for nothing. And I want you to know that even if we are poured out, we are so glad and we rejoice with you as you rejoice. Let's pray.